Some of the most poignant letters that I receive uh, come from former church members who were forced to move far away. For example, this one, this letter arrived just, just a few days ago. I got this one. Wayne, thanks again for talking. We really enjoyed catching up. The podcasts and videos are great, but it's not the same as getting to visit people who are in our hearts forever. There are so many great memories with Frisco Bible. God brought us to Texas for a reason, even if that season seemed too short. It's awesome how Frisco Bible is being used to bring the beautiful tapestry of Scripture to so many beyond just North Texas. Appreciate you, love you, keep the faith. Close quote. Now, it was somewhat eerie to read that great note early Tuesday morning. First thing Tuesday morning, I read that note, and then the next thing I did was open my Bible to begin my study for our passage for today. It was really strange because the text today communicates an incredibly similar message. Open your Bible, Philippians chapter 1, and, and you'll see it, verses 3 through 8. Go to Philippians chapter 1, let's start in verse 3. The Apostle Paul and Timothy are writing to Philippi, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you're all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. As we say to your notes there inside your bulletin, you got a worship guide when you came and look at the notes. This describes Paul's partnership with the Philippians. They are bonded in fellowship. There's a rare and really significant word in verse 7 that captures this bonding. Partner, or depending on your translation, fellow sharer, is the Greek word sunkunonos. Um, sunkunonos is a derivative of koinonia. Koinonia is a, is a major Christian term. It, it means fellowship. Uh, koinonia, by the way, is used up in verse 5. We translate it partner there, or partnership. Sunkunonos adds a bonded element to koinonia. This is describing a strong grasp of and commitment to live out Christian fellowship. Now, as I studied this passage and I was reading the Greek experts' detail on this rare term, I wrote this in my notes. Here's what I wrote in my own notes. I wrote, this is a word for people who understand that unity is a fact founded on Jesus and intended to be experienced through thick and thin. Friends, this is one of the things God wants to pound into our souls through this letter. The, the, the verb and the noun form of this rare term, sunkononos, each appear in Philippians, which makes it clear that God wants us to be people who understand that unity is a fact founded on Jesus and is intended to be experienced through thick and thin. All God's people said? By the way, sunkononos is one of four key terms that drive this letter. Um, there, there are four ideas that propel this, this short book of Philippians. The terminology reveals it. The, <clears throat> the first one, sunkononos, this bonded fellowship in Christian unity. The fact that a rare term like that, very rare, is used repeatedly tells us this was an important concept. Number two, second big idea is joy. It's only four chapters long, right? But joy and rejoice, forms of that appear 18 times in Philippians. Third big concept is mind. <clears throat> words for mind, different words for mind occur 12 times in Philippians. Um, Dr. Pentecost puts it really well. He says, while Christ is the source of the believer's joy, the mind is the channel through which that joy comes into the experience of the child of God. One's attitude towards people, attitude towards things, attitude towards events, attitude toward the person of Christ, all these will affect one's life, close quote. Soon, kononos, joy, mind, the fourth big idea 
is in Christ. Get, get this. The relationship among believers is established on Jesus. How do we know that Philippians says that? Through the terms. <laughs> Jesus, or, or some, one of his titles, appears 51 times in this letter. Another 19 times he's referred to by a personal pronoun, him or you or he. 70 times in 104 verses, Jesus is mentioned. Obviously, in Christ is a big deal. So, here's the big ideas of Philippians. Bonded fellowship, joy, mind, in Christ. And in Christ takes us to our next point in this passage. They are established on Jesus. Verse 5. Look at verse 5 again. <clears throat> because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In the gospel. Verse 7. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are partners with me in grace. In both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. Grace and gospel. That's their core. Do you, do you see that? They are partners in grace. Partners in the gospel. Each of those things is from one source. From Jesus. Grace comes from Jesus. Gospel comes from Jesus. This is what allows them to establish good works. Folks, listen. Nothing built on anything less than Jesus will stand. In Jesus' gospel and Jesus' grace alone, we can build to last. And only there can we build to last. How many of you have ever lived in California? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Keep your hand up. Let me see them really high if you've lived in California. Keep your hand up high if you ever lived through an earthquake there. Okay, quite a few of you. Somebody raised their hand who didn't raise their hand the first time. That's fascinating. Okay. Um, <clears throat> those of you that have been through earthquakes, uh, you, you know what happens to structures that are not correctly connected to their foundations. They, they collapse in an earthquake. With, with, without the right kind of built-in flexibility, the right kind of built-in strength, the parts of the structure fall apart. And by the way, that is exactly what happened to the city of Philippi. 619 A.D., a massive earthquake leveled most of the city. Um, Slavic incursions began right after that, and that drove off most of the remaining Philippians. But the church in Philippi was not destroyed. It was founded on Jesus. The church in Philippi had the strength and the flexibility to survive. The church at Philippi was part of the effort. You know what they did? They were part of that major effort to share Jesus Christ with all those invading Slavs. They were overrun, but they conquered their invaders by letting Jesus Christ change them. By the thousands, those Slavs became Christians. They learned to read, and then they started studying the Bible. And that church has continued to this day. Hundreds of years later, their offspring are still praising Jesus at Philippi. Look, I brought this stone. This is a stone that was given to me by a wonderful priest uh, whose church at Philippi, modern Philippi, his church is on the spot where Lydia was baptized. Lydia was the first ever person to become a believer in Christ and be baptized in Europe. And, and his wife uh, drew this uh, stone for me. They give them to other believers in Jesus so that we'll pray for them in Philippi. And I have this in my office, and I do pray for them. These two wonderful people are genuine believers on Christ alone. They are established on Jesus. And you know what they're doing? They're continuing the tradition that was begun a long, long time ago by our forefathers on that site. Thus, the church at Philippi is a living example of verse 6. Go back to verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The Lord will see his people through. He who started the good work in his people will be faithful. Jesus will carry Christians all the way through until his day, the day that he returns and establishes his kingdom. God the Son does not start things and then leave them unfinished. Of course, sometimes it feels that way. 
Christians sometimes enter a messy season where it seems that progress is suspended. Completion is never going to come. But God is at work always, and he promises to complete his work in us. A generation ago, John Moore wrote a beautiful poem based on Philippians 1.6. He said, if the struggle you're facing is slowly replacing your hope with despair, or the, the process is long, I love this phrase, and you're losing your song in the night, you can be sure that the Lord has his hand on you, safe and secure. He will never abandon you. You are his treasure, and he finds his pleasure in you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. Cindy Sharp of our pulpit team sent me a great note on this. She wrote me and said, Wayne, I'm so very grateful that he who started the good work in me will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It quite takes the pressure off. I have only to respond to him. I do not have to be perfect. Instead, I will be perfected in Christ himself. It also means that even on the bad days, all will work out for God's glory. How cool is that? Close quote. I recently got some new books. I know, that's a shock. I get books all the time, but this was a larger than usual haul. This is a slight exaggeration, but slight. All these new books I got necessitated that I had to redo. I had to reshelve and reorganize my, my home library. For a few hours while I was playing book Tetris, um, but my desk was covered with books. The floor of the library was covered with books. The hallway had books everywhere. There were books all filling the media room, right? It, it was just a mess. Think about this. What if I had just left it all there? What if I had been like a teenager with their clothing and just left piles of it all over the floor? None of you can relate, of course. Stop hitting your friend. Um, what if I just left it all a big mess, okay? Just think about that for a moment. Would I have been able to access the information that I needed with the books all scattered around open on the floor, yes or no? No. Would it have been an enjoyable and productive place, my upstairs of my house, if I left it looking like that, yes or no? No. So I finished the job. I completed the work so the library can be useful to all those who use it, and, and they are many. Now I share that, listen carefully, I share that particular illustration to point out something that is often missed about Philippians 1.6. It is not all about you. The reason my library is completed is not merely for the books. True, it, 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 they're much better off on the shelves rather than down on the floor where they can be stepped on and ripped and, and torn up. Uh, sure, but my organization effort is not for the books. It's for the use of those books in the same way. Jesus' completion work in a Christian's life is not merely for that Christian. It is for the Lord. His work of grace, his work of gospel among other people goes beyond just me. His glory and his salvation work matter. He completes me throughout my life not merely for me. It's for, it's for greater purposes that stretch beyond my life. It's for those he wants to use me to bless. Now, we said this section is all about Paul's blessed partnership with the Philippian Christians. Verses 7 and 8 complete this really lovely picture. Look at verse 7. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment. Paul, at this point, remember, is in Rome in his first in house arrest, and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness. How deeply I miss all of you with the affection 
of Christ Jesus. The apostle has them in his heart, he says. It's a marvelous phrase. It's almost exactly what our modern brother wrote in that letter we read earlier. Remember, he said, um, people who are in our hearts forever. Now, of course, our modern friend's a Christian. He's read Paul, so no doubt that phrase had rooted in his mind. But there's more than just imitation here. Each of these men is describing a wonderful and, and common feeling that, that is experienced really often among Christians in the churches of Jesus. You've surely felt this feeling. You probably have been a Christian any time. There's a commonality among us. We are so very different in so many ways, and yet we have this, this sense of common unity. There is, a, there is a sense of togetherness. We make friends in a church, and they become part of us. And Paul says, this is right. This is good. And it stays with us forever. I want to show you a, a video, this little video clip. It gets, it gets close to a little bit of what it means to have them in your heart. Take a look and listen. It's been 18 years since Linda has had any contact with Dahl and Swing face-to-face. -face. It's been so long. There's no telling how they'll react. Oh, you look great. Even her old friends are now wild animals. Oh, yeah. Do you remember me? Who's that, huh? Who's that? It's okay. It's okay. This way. That's good. It's a, it's a sign of submission. This is a deeply felt bond. We say heart because that's our cultural way of depicting this, and that's fine. But actually, the text says, I have you in my guts. <laughs> I know that, that, that sounds gross to us, but in ancient thought, Splunk known uh, bowels or guts is a way to describe a deep and an unbreakable bond. All Christians, you know this, right? All Christians are bonded in Jesus. But there are some people with whom the connection runs really deeply. Such is the case with Paul and Timothy and the Philippians. That's why Paul gives thanks for them. That's why he prays for them. Look, look at verse 3, 4. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Verse 8. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection. By the way, that's Splunk known again with the, with the bowels, deep, deep love of Christ Jesus. Now, that awesome relationship causes us to ask some pretty serious application questions. You'll see a few of them listed in our notes. I put them there. Question number one, are my friendships established on Jesus? This is important because those last, right? Even beyond this life, they last. That's why God says to have partners in home and in business who are fellow Christians. Kids, it's why your parents get rightly concerned when you date non-believers. They want your relationships to last. Speaking of relationships, second question, whom do I need to let into my heart? Are there, are there believers in Jesus that you're holding at arm's length? May, maybe to you they resemble those chimps in that video more than the beautiful people of Frisco, Texas, right? Maybe they have problems. Maybe they're unattractive. But we miss out on the blessings when we don't let people in. Of course. We're not talking about codependency. We're not talking about health. 
We're talking about love. And that takes me to a third question. What is it that keeps me from bonding with trustworthy brethren? If, if I'm not letting good people into my heart or, or my guts, if I'm not letting good people in, why is that? It's wise, folks, it's a, such a wise practice to take time and to examine what wounds, what practices, what experiences are getting in the way of my healthy Christian relationships. What's putting a wall there? And by the way, a good counselor can really help in this area. And I recommend you use one. Finally, I found myself wondering a fourth question as I studied. Do I live, do I live like I believe Jesus really will complete his people? <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I find that I give up on Christians who are taking forever to mature. <laughs> right? Now, however understandable, that impatience is unacceptable. Instead, I need to pray for them the way Paul does. And, and, and his prayer continues. Verses 9 through 11. Look at, look at 9 through 11. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. On the right side of our notes, we learn from Paul's specific prayer for the Philippians. Now, look at this fascinating parallel here. This prayer in Philippians chapter 1 is very similar to a prayer in Colossians 1. And in each of them, Philippians 1, 9 through 11, Colossians 1, 9 through 11. By the way, don't be wowed by the numbers. Those were added later. <laughs> um, but they are, they are parallel. Look, Philippians chapter 1, the, the prayer begins after this time of thanksgiving for the brethren, right? Colossians chapter 1, he's just finished giving thanks for these brethren, then he begins the prayer. The prayer in Philippians has these specific terms, I pray, praying in Colossians, abound in knowledge, says Philippians, growing in knowledge of God, in all discernment. By the way, I left the Greek words up there so you can see in the original language, it's even more dramatic than it is in, in our language. I couldn't fit this one on. Discernment is, uh, is aesthesi. Uh, in the Colossians side, it's, um, it's in wisdom and understanding. Sophia synesthesi, the same word. Uh, being filled, you may be filled. Fruit of righteousness, bearing fruit. Glory and praise of God, power of His glory, a good work, every good work. Isn't that amazing? Same words. Now, Richard Mellick explains why. Why does this matter? Look what he says. Similarities of words reveal a similarity of content. No doubt Paul wrote each of these at a time when he pondered the same thoughts on, and this is the key, Christian growth. These parallels reveal that Paul thought consistently on the matter of Christian growth. And the fact that, that they are parallel emphasizes the basic themes found in his request. He's right. Through Paul, God is focusing on Christian growth, how we build to last. And there are two big themes, two big ideas that matter most. This twice-repeated prayer has two big ideas each time. Big idea number one, he prays for abounding love. Lennon and McCartney are wrong. Love is not all you need. However, they were right when they sang, love me do. You should love, love me do. You're right. You should love, love me do. We need to love with God's agape love. If you don't know what that is, the word, the love, word love there is a Greek, fancy Greek word agape. It means self-sacrificial love. It's, it's a quintessentially Christian term. It's an other-centered, self-sacrificial love. That kind of love should keep on growing in our lives. My friend, Pastor Chris Legg, reminded me that in his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis described the impact of this, the impact of abounding love. Now, if you've never read them, 
the screw tape letters are, are fictitious notes, but they're written from, these supposed notes are written from a senior demon, his name is Screwtape, to a lesser demon named Wormwood. And, and Screwtape is really angry and he is really disappointed because Wormwood has been unable to keep his assigned human, the human he's supposed to torment, from becoming a Christian, right? And agape love, that thing that God wants to see abounding in us, it played a huge role in the conversion of this person. Look at Screwtape's letter. I think it's number 22. He says this, Could you not see that the very house she, and he's talking about this Christian in the story, the very house she lives in is one that the subject ought never to have entered. The whole place reeks of that deadly odor. Even guests after a weekend visit carry some of the smell away with them. The dog and the cat are tainted with it. We are certain, it's a matter of first principles, that each member of the family must in some way be making capital out of the others. By the way, that's a, that's a British way of saying picking on each other, using each other uh, in a negative way. They must be making capital out of the others, but we can't find out how. They guard as jealously as the enemy himself. That's God in Screwtape's thinking. They guard as jealously as the enemy himself the secret of what really lies behind that pretense of disinterested love, agape. The whole house and garden is one vast obscenity. It bears a sickening resemblance to heaven. Close quote. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. That deadly odor, that deadly odor of disinterested love is supposed to flow from each of us. Think of it this way. Love is supposed to surround us the way body spray smell surrounds a middle school boy's locker room. Okay? <laughs> Does that work? It's just supposed to emanate from us all the time. And look what that agape love does. Love which grows in knowledge and discernment. Ooh, catch that. Grows in knowledge and discernment. This is the opposite of what the world tells us. The world says love is blind. Love is not blind. Love actually grows with knowledge and insight. We wrongly think, we do, we wrongly think that the more we know, the more sullen life will become. I mean, how many times have you said something like, I don't want to know how the sausage is made. I fear the worst. <laughs> um, you ever said that? Thank you, thank you. I'm here all week. Um, we've said, I don't want to know how the sausage is made, but let me tell you something. I'm probably the only one here who ever worked in a meat plant that actually made sausage. And I will testify to you that that sausage room at Canadian Valley Meatpacking Company, that was the cleanest room I have ever been in in my life. And I have many times observed in surgical suites, and it was much cleaner. Now, don't misunderstand. When we learn about the world, we do see the effects of sin everywhere. D discernment shows us that this is a tainted, fallen place. When we dig down deeper in knowledge, it does expose the nastiness, but it also increases love. When we examine deeply, you know what we see? We see the effects of God's creative hand even through the mess. When we examine deeply all this nasty fallen world, we grow in love for those whose lives have been tainted and wrecked by sin. That's why God wants us to know more, to discern more, because it makes us love more. This is what a jazz producer named Bob Tila, this is what he was communicating when he teamed up with a, a brilliant songwriter named George David Weiss. They wrote a marvelous song. It's called What a Wonderful World. Here, here are some of the lyrics. I see trees of green. Red roses, too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky, are also on the faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? 
They're really saying, I love you. Isn't that, look, look, the, all that knowledge. You see what he's doing? He's looking around. He's observing. That leads to more love. It leads to a deeper discernment of love. I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you, they're really saying, you see the discernment, the understanding, they're really saying, I love you. So, so this exemplary, repeated prayer for the Christian is to abound in love. This is the prayer, to abound in love that grows in knowledge and discernment so the Christian can know what's best, what is superior. The, the Greek dokimazo is translated approve in my Bible, and, and that's fine, but it's important to know that dokimazo is a judgment term. I think maybe a little history can help us get to what this means, approved, a dokimazo. Xenophon, brilliant uh, Greek writer, he uses the exact same form of the same word in describing how the sophists were shamed by Socrates because Socrates' questions exposed them. They were weighed and found wanting, dokimazo. Uh, Plato uses the same construction not long after to describe testing people, evaluating people who are nominated for offices of the state, of the city-state. The, the point is that God is inspiring this same verbal to piggyback on a long-standing idea. People need to figure out what is best, who's right, which way to go, whom to hire, et cetera, et cetera. And friends, that's what happens when we abound in love that grows in knowledge and discernment. We work for excellence because we love, because we think. We know what's best, and we choose the superior over the merely okay D.A. Carson sees the conviction in this prayer. He, he wrote a book called Praying with Paul, and he commented on this prayer in particular. Each believer must ask, to what extent do I pray for excellent things, things judged excellent in God's eyes, both for myself and for those around me? Do I pray that my love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that I can distinguish between what is passable and what is excellent, between what is acceptable and what is best, testing out and approving what is best in my own life, do I pray this for my church? Or quite frankly, do I prefer sullen mediocrity? Sullen mediocrity, ouch. Please, let's never settle for that. All God's people said? Now, there's a second major prayer here. It doesn't really show well in English, but there are two clauses in Paul's prayer, and each is introduced with a henna. Don't be thrown by that. A Greek henna is ju it's just a little word that tells you that a, a cause or a purpose statement is going to follow. A henna means a, clause or a cause or purpose statement is being introduced. At the end of verse 10, we have a henna. We see the second purpose in Paul's prayer. He prays for purity and sure-footedness. Have, have you ever purchased something that was one color in the store, but when you got it out in the sunlight, it was a totally different color. You ever experienced that, right? Here's what's cool. The word we translate pure in verse 10, it literally means judged by sunlight. Isn't that cool? God's apostle prays for Christians like us, people like us, to be pure. That is, to be the same color wherever we are. That's what purity means here. It means be the same person in the dark as you are in the light all the time judged by light. Second desire is what my Bible renders blameless. The original word meant not stumbling, so in my own little note, in my very unauthorized version, uh, I wrote sure-footed. That's what I wrote for my translation, sure-footed. Anybody here enjoy ice skating? Raise your hands. Raise your hands you enjoy ice skating. You are all crazy. <laughs> I hate it. I may be the worst ice skater in human history. My ankles can't stand up. When I go ice skating, all it, you, could just call it, you could just call it concussion pinball because that's all I do. I just go back and forth bashing my head on the ice. I am not sure-footed on skates. And horribly, that is exactly how many of us live our Christian lives. 
far from blameless, we're foolhardy. We, we wander out onto icy ground where we fall and bash our skulls on sin. Paul prays that we will stop it. He wants us to be sure-footed. Quit going to places you know are slippery. Avoid online sites that lead you to fall. Eliminate that sloppy thinking that exposes you to slippery slopes. That's the second prayer, that we are the same all the time and that we are sure-footed in avoiding sin, which prepares one for Christ's return. Now, now, fancy theological term for the day, imputed righteousness. It's really important here. When you see the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus, notice that is not something that the person creates for himself or herself. This is something that is given to us, imputed to us, when we yield to God. And that prepares us. The righteousness given to us by God when we yield to him, that prepares us for the day when Jesus returns. My, my mommy loves to give me nice dress shirts, okay? You've heard of the five love languages, right? My mom has the sixth, nice dress shirts. That's, that is her love language with me. This, this one is one, I, I love my closets full of wonderful shirts all given by mom. I, I wear them all the time. I love the shirts. I wear them all the time. But I especially like to wear them when I hear that mom's coming to town, right? When mommy's coming to town, I will particularly make sure that I've ironed one of those and I will, I will wear it. Again, I wear them all the time, but I, I just want to be wearing the wonderful shirt mom gave me when she comes. In a similar way, we should be wearing the righteousness that God gives us all the time. But we especially want to be dressed in holiness when Jesus suddenly appears. And he will. With that in mind, verse 11 closes with the whole point of life. So that God is glorified and praised. That's the great thing. The right thing. The best thing. To praise God. That's why it's the conclusion of our church's biblical mission. Frisco Bible Church. We're a redeemed community doing the great commission by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Everybody read the last line with me. Why? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. Not us. God. Now. Looking over Paul's twice-repeated two-part prayer, I'm struck that this is a model. Do you see that? This is how we're supposed to pray for people with whom we are partners in grace. And that sparked a whole other set of application questions that I found rather painful. And not wanting to suffer alone, I thought I'd inflict some of my pain on you. So I put some of the questions that hurt me the most in your notes, hoping that you will suffer as well. Question number one. Do I abound in self-sacrificial love? That's the first thing in this prayer, both in Philippians and Colossians. In the Gospel of John, agape love is the primary thing. It is the smell that is supposed to axe off of us all the time. Is that my trademark? People who hang around me, are they, would screw tape say they are tainted with that smell? Second question, do I work for excellence? Do I choose the superior over the merely okay? Third question, am I the, oh, this one hurts, am I the same person in every light? Am I living as somebody who is judged by the sunlight all the time? And fourth question, the, the big question, the why question, is my top goal to glorify God? That, our forefathers were right. That's the chief end of humanity, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Is, is that how I live? Let's pray about these things. Pray with me, please. Right now, where you are, turn to God who loves you. And if you're a believer in Christ, why don't you work through these difficult questions about your 
your growth, your building to last. Just talk to God. Lord, show me, are my friendships established on Jesus? Not, not that I'm not friends with non-believers. Of course you want me to be. But, but in my relationships, the ones that are in my bowels, in my heart, are they established on Christ? Or is it something that's not going to last? Lord, show me, whom do I need to let into my heart? I who deserve nothing, but am blessed by your grace. To whom am I not extending grace? And Lord, what keeps me? Ask God this. What, what is it that's keeping me from bonding with trustworthy people? Help me see it. And then help me devise a plan to, to eliminate that wall that doesn't belong there. Ask God this one. Lord, do I live, show me, do I live like I believe that you're going to complete those who have trusted you, your people? <laughs> Father, oftentimes the answer is, is no. And, uh, and, and interestingly, it's not so much for ourselves, uh, maybe not for good reason, but most humans really believe that we're going to end up okay. It's for our family, for those we love, uh, especially children and grandchildren. We, we, it's unacceptable, Lord. We ask your forgiveness. We live like you're a liar. <laughs> like you need us to be the Holy Spirit like you're not going to complete the good work you began and we are so sorry we pray you will change that may we trust you let's ask some more questions while you're talking to God Lord do I abound in agape self-sacrificial love other-centered love I should it's the first thing in your prayer for me. I pray I will. Lord, do I work for excellence? Show me where I am choosing the merely okay and not the superior. Lord, am I the same person in every light? I, I know there are different tones with different audiences. That's fine, but... Am I pure in the sense of I'm the same person? And if not, I, I beg you to help us change that. Lord, is my top goal to glorify you? <laughs> Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in these, these very wonderful, beautiful, painful questions. There are many others. Please, please don't let them be limited to just what struck me. Your Holy Spirit has many more applications in this passage. But I pray for, I pray for me, I pray for my brothers and sisters that, you will, that you'll do for them what you did for me. You will lead to specific steps that, that you develop with us so that we don't just ask good questions, but we take steps to change. And Father, I, I see the ushers here and I praise you because we... We just prayed for a top goal to glorify you, and there, <laughs> there may be nothing that exposes that more than the offering. Giving you your money, glorifying you with the offering, first thing, first check I write every month. It is a precious gift, and we are grateful to get to glorify you, and we pray we do so in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen.